This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Okay, folks, here's the scheduling. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. If you're new to our program and finding us, hey, glad to have you with us. That's on AMI-tv across Canada. On AMI-audio, you can find our first airing of the program, 2 p.m. Eastern time, on both audio and TV, a repeat of the program, at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, you can always subscribe to the Kelly and Rumya podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald at the home studio in London, Ontario. Rumya's at the studio in Toronto. Let's talk a little art and art that you can go check out very shortly. There's an accessible art showcase and it's taking uh, place from January 20th to April 13th. This is happening in Aurelia, Ontario. We're very excited to be revisited by creator and artist Robin Rennie, who's going to tell us more about the special gallery because about a year ago, Robin, you came on our show to talk a little bit about uh, the art, like you as an artist and this showcase case that at that point was a year away so very excited to have you back on thank you for having me it's lovely to talk to you again and we're two weeks away robin so um tell us about this it's called seeing beyond what is it seeing beyond is an accessible art show um, I personally have low vision, and and so after I had my vision loss almost 19 years ago, I had to um, practice differently because I, I can't draw accurately anymore. And once I started to do that and, and, and create again, I, I realized that my lived experience was different when I went to see art shows. I went to um, a show with my daughter uh, at the AGO to see a Joan Mitchell retrospective. And I realized that, you know, even though I could see what was on the wall and they're very large paintings, I couldn't read the titles. I, I didn't have any indication when I look at something two-dimensional, it's very difficult for me to, to figure out what I'm looking at. And even the titles were not large enough for me to, to get a clue from that. So I began to think about my own work differently in terms of how I could make it accessible to other people um, like myself. Yeah, to make it so much more engaging, make people so included. And we all like that. We all want to feel included, by the way. Speaking of inclusion, hello to Murray <laughs> there on your lap as he sits yep, there being nice Murray. and quiet. Your puppy, Murray, hello. Well, he's, now, he's <laughs> yeah, like I was saying before, Jeff's bird in the background was very quiet, but I don't trust Murray to not bark. I got to sit here so Best I can to keep him close. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep him close at a hand and shh. And, and engage. What's going on here? What are we doing? Um, when we talk about the things that you discovered for your experience and said, hey, you know, this really isn't accessible to me. When you started, and again, we had this conversation with you, so I want to kind of go back review. What are the things that came to mind when you started, I want to put a more accessible art gallery program together? What did that actually mean to you for those who are now going to come out and say, okay, let's see what you did to maybe include me? We know that's a tall order because you can only do so yeah. much to satisfy so many people. Absolutely. It's not a one-size-fits-all for sure. Right. And, and I, I did have a small show in 2019 in Toronto, and I, and I learned a lot from that. And so um, like what I had done was I had included um, a, an, app, an app that we used on a phone called Artcessible. It, uh, my son wrote that. And we, um, I found that people who 
you know, a lot of people that have vision issues don't have access to smartphones. And so right. that wasn't democratizing. It wasn't, you know, inclusive. Mm. And, and, and the other thing that I did at that show was I made it so that it was accessible to uh, deafblind people. And I had the audio descriptions um, were uh, printed in Braille. So there was like a Braille, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, a document. And this time I'm not doing that. I'm, I've, I've discovered, I've, because of the, the whole thing with the art festival, I'm trying to um, make it more um, inclusive. Each painting, so there's 27 paintings of various sizes, and each painting has a tactile replica, which was something I had tried in 2019. I had a couple of them, and they were, they were very well received. So each painting has a tactile replica next to it with a life size. And then we, um, with a very generous support from the Canada Council for the Arts, we designed and created audio devices. So each audio device will sit um, between the two paintings, and there will be indicators on the floor if someone's completely deaf. They can, um, they'll know that they're standing directly in front of it, and they just have to simply have to reach out and put on the headset and push the big button, and then they can listen to me, uh, like a pre-recording of me describing the work and describing um, and giving my insights into the painting. So, and so now this isn't accessible, obviously, to deaf people. Right. But so what we've done is for the art um, talk, because there will be a talk during the um, <clears throat> during the opening reception. Um, we've arranged to have um, ASL interpreters there, so that um, people who are deaf can can you know hear me or know what I'm saying, and also the questions that are asked too. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah it's for sure. It's fantastic because there's no real, uh, in my opinion, there's no real right approach to how you make something like this accessible. It's not that, you know, here's the handbook of instructions of how to make an art gallery accessible for every kind of person who is going to come along for the uh, experience, right, and disability or not. And so you just... You start somewhere and you keep going, and every time you um, find another progress. way, yeah, to make it more accessible, you do that, and yeah. you just kind of consider, oh, there he is. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's not on my lap anymore. Oh, that's why <laughs> you were right. But um, I'm I'm curious, Robin, like going back to your process with making art, creating mm -hmm. art, uh, and and you talked a little bit about you know when art as you knew it became inaccessible to you and the kind of adaptation you had to, to make to continue being an artist. Can you let us into that a little more? It was really, really difficult. And I experimented a lot. It took a while. I mean, it took, took a good 10 years. Wow. And, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the first few pieces that I did, I, I put a body of work together and I, I made a proposal to a, a decent gallery and went there and they completely rejected my work. And so you know, when it's your art, that is your soul. That is your person yes. that's being rejected. And I didn't pick up a paintbrush for two years after that. I figured that I had completely lost it. But that impulse to create just is so strong and it doesn't go away. And so I, I had to revisit it. And I just started to, you know, really open up and let go and become, my work is, is more visceral. You know, it's, I used to be very tight and controlled and, and I'm a high realist and I had to let go and just allow my feelings mm. to be yeah. what I, I presented. I, I want to tell you as well, um, going forward with this, what I would really like to see, I mean, I want to learn more from this show about accessibility, what works, what doesn't to go forward. But we have made um, all of our um, um, initiatives are, are 
what's the word I'm looking for, Stan? I've lost my husband. Um, they're free. So people, I, there's a term for it, and it's not coming to my mind. Um, and anybody can contact us and ask for the schematics on how to do this. Mm. It's, it's relatively cheap. You know, if you wanted to buy a unit like this for a museum, and museums do have them, they're about $2,500. We can make them for 35 bucks. And right. and so it's it's really cost effective. Every gallery, every museum across Canada should be doing this. And this is what I I, I mean, it's mandated. I mean, not that specifically, but this is what I'm really hoping to do is to is to make it so that all kinds of art shows and, and various, um, you know, various displays and, and whatever can be as as accessible to mm-hmm. as many people as possible. And artists, too. Like, I have a, a really good friend and fellow artist in, um, in Aurelia. His name is Peter Fife. He has a show coming up next year at, um, at the Aurelia Museum of Art and History. And he approached me and asked me how he could make his own work more accessible. And it, it, it made me kind of smile because Peter already oh, yeah. has... He already has things that are, are interactive and, and touch. I mean, touch is huge, you know, yes. for, for in terms of, of, um, of accessibility when you don't see. I mean, you just need to touch it. You need to feel it. And so Peter, you know, he asked me what he could do more for his show. And, and he and I are actually collaborating on a, um, a workshop on January the 24th at OMA. And um, it's a workshop for people to, you know, to pay and take on how to um, create accessible art. And mostly what I'm doing is uh, is uh, not teaching them, but leading them on how to, when they're finished their piece, how to describe it. Because right. that is, is something yep. you have to, well, you know, yep. description is something that's learned. Like it's not, yes. you know, it's, mm. it's, it, you don't get it right the first time kind of thing. So, yep. um yeah. Yep. And yeah, so many different and, approaches and, well, and, and values. ways that we all take it in as well, right? And, oh yeah. You know, Robin, I, I'm kind of curious of something here because you know, when we start talking about accessibility, a lot of comes down to with everything. How much time? How much money? You've already talked to the issue of thirty-five dollars for the unit. What I wonder: twenty-seven pieces that you've got there, but you've made tactile for each one. Can you speak yep. to how much extra time when someone hears that and says, what, to make a tactile, how much time is that going to, can you talk to that, please? Honestly, they were quick. A um, few hours. It, it, because each piece I would start it that way exactly anyway, and yeah. it, only it would all be white, so I would use all the different textures that I wanted to have on there for the most part. Um, maybe not the gold flake, and then I would let it dry for a couple of days, and then I would begin to paint on top of it and then embellish or whatever. So the tactile pieces were were easy, you know. Mm. They, um, yeah, they, you know, a few hours each. It's just the drying time that's, that takes the most time, which isn't all that long. So do you and, have and, a... and, and again, it, it wasn't it was not it was not terribly costly. Right, right. And, and like, you know, just through this conversation, you're obviously pointing out um, the discrepancies or the perceived discrepancies of making art accessible that people might have, these uh, challenges or uh, theories, money, money, yeah. money especially, yeah. and work and uh, pre-planning it would take. And you're like, no, it doesn't need to be that complicated. Um, it just got to be in your mind to want to do this. Also, do you have people in your life that you wanted to shout out uh, for helping make this more accessible? You talked about your son, you talked about your husband, you know, people in, especially at the brainstorming phase of making your art accessible. 
I couldn't actually do this without my husband. He has probably spent way more hours on this project than I have <laughs> in creating the artwork. You know, he's, um, and, and this is what he's good at, and he is happy to do it, thank goodness. I don't pay him. I do pay my son. Um, <laughs> mm. And I did, get, I did get funding to do that because Michael has to write the code. And, and, you know, one of my daughters does my Instagram, and it's a family affair for sure. Oh, and man, they're, you yeah. Know, they're super supportive. Oh. Uh, I think it's wonderful. Robin, very briefly, just tell us a little something about the show itself. Let's encourage people to come on out. Oh, please. Okay. It's on, um, it, it starts on January the 20th. Uh, there's, um, there's a pre-artist uh, talk for executive members earlier in the morning, and then the opening reception starts at 1 o'clock until 3. There are actually... Um, three openings that day that the, there's three floors to the the museum my show is on the bottom floor it's completely accessible and there will be um instructions recorded instructions at both entrances at the um like at the uh the ramp entrance and the front as well so that when people come they can listen to this and they'll know what to expect and what to do it's i've lost my train of thought um yeah it runs till three o'clock and then the although they usually run a little bit later and, you know, there's lots of time to chat. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to talk to anybody about, about, you know, anything that they would like to know about this or, or if they want to take this further with their practice, that would be wonderful. Again, you know, I'll be around for that entire week and then the show runs until April 13th. So. All right. If we need, and if we, I'm I'm just going to say, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to, to take these, these shows, um, forms of this show right across the country. That's certainly my intention, so that you know as many people as possible who are blind and have low vision have access to art. Yeah, and can we sure. find you on social, Robin? Yeah, Absolutely. tell us where. Uh, Robin Rennie, artist, and Robin Rennie is on Facebook, and um, Robin Rennie, artist, Instagram, and my um, my website is um, www. Oh, hang on, Robin's Robin. <laughs> Hey, I gotta get a card and take a look because we changed the title. Robin Rennie dot Robin Rennie Art dot com. Okay. No, no, sorry. <laughs> Say it again. Here. Robin Rennie dot art. Sorry. Okay, perfect. Okay. Thank you. We will put it up as well and remind people to go check you out. Uh, Robin, all the best. It's really Thank lovely hang- hanging out and catching up with you again. Good oh, luck. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm dying to spread the word to everybody. So. Oh yeah, thanks. absolutely. Yeah, thanks. We're excited for you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We thank were you. speaking with Robin Rennie about seeing beyond. This is the accessible showcase that she will be um, featured on, but as well, there's lots of other parts to this conversation. It's taking place from January 20th to April 13th in Orillia, Ontario. So go check it out. Robin Rennie, R O B Y N R E N N I E on social. Awesome. Yeah, really great. Inspiring and some great ideas there and sound like looking always for more. We will step aside for a couple of moments. Let's talk about tree houses, folks. The world's oldest tree house happens to be found in the UK with a really rich history. Beth Deere is going to be here in a couple of moments and tell us all about it and how you can visit it yourself. We'll talk to her after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. 